a world filled with fast-paced living and constant demands on the aging body, it's easy to forget some of the simplest yet most essential elements of our well-being, hydration and nutrients. As you know, when I'm not in the studio recording a podcast or in the gym or out in the scrub hunting, putting rounds downrange, I'm somewhere in the world on a security gig, putting in the hard yards, ending up on TikTok. So legends that get some, keep me advancing forward, Jocko Fuel Supplements. More specifically, I've been smashing the Jocko Hydrate Sachets, which helps me replenish my electrolytes and other critical vitamins while boosting energy and supporting recovery. Also, just like my kids, my appetite for veggies goes as far as hot chips from the kernel. However, every morning I'll mix a scoop of Jocko Greens, Jocko Creatine into water, which helps me supplement my lack of and delivers all the nutrients for better gut health, immune support, cognitive function, and physical performance. And not to mention, tastes bloody good. So head over to www.getsome.com.au and use the code Zero Limits all in caps for a discount. I'll leave you with this for the day. Hard work, clean fuel, stronger, faster, smarter, better. Let's go. It's time for the Zero Limits Podcast, hosted by Australian veterans. Chatting with high-charging humans with hectic stories from around the world. We'll give you the motivation to take on whatever life throws at you and the kick to complete any goal you set your mind to. Let's go. Clancy, how are you, brother? Hey, how are you? Yeah, good, good mate. Good, no, good. again, uh, appreciate your time, and you know we're meant to be seeing each other in a in a week or so, but that's not happening now because of. Uh, COVID, China um, virus. I was going to get Clancy up to do run self defence or oh yep for for the company. Yes, yes. So run my security guards through I'd, a bit I'd, of self defence. And I did see that email come through. Bit of kung fu and how to neck chop people. No, I can circumcisions <laughs> on the street. <laughs> yep, nothing like a throat chop. <laughs> yeah. So mate, again, thanks for your time, and uh, I guess let's just start from the start. Um, where was uh, young Clancy born and? Uh, grew up. Yep. Well, it's a. I guess uh, I do like to talk, so you'll have to cut me off. Stuck <laughs> on but uh, it's a. Uh, it's a pretty varied story, I suppose. I had a pretty different uh, childhood, I think, compared to what I hear from most people. Um, I was born in uh, Bustleton in WA, so it's just near Margaret Rivers. Um, I think I lived there for a couple of years. Parents moved around a fair bit. Um, actually, they broke up when I was pretty pretty little. So yeah. I, Grew up all over the place, really, mostly probably northern New South Wales until about the age of seven um, when I moved to Tasmania with my mum. But I think um, I remember, I, remember I, don't, I don't know the exact figures and, and obviously the memory at that age is pretty fragmented, but went to a lot of different schools. Uh, so I, like I have fragmented memories of yeah. different different like different like primary schools, probably five or six or so before year three. Um, and then but set, sort of settled once I got to Tasmania, so... Probably because it's a small place, you can move around and still go to the same school. <laughs> a, I mean, you can drive from one end of the state to the other in about two hours. Yeah, um, yeah, yes. Yeah, so that was, uh, I guess, that was kind of my early childhood. And then growing growing up in Tasmania, so I, thankfully I can say I wasn't born in Tasmania. <laughs> yeah, there, so. I, I only can see one head, so it's all right. Yeah, that's it. How many scars? Scar, scar, and all that other bullshit. <laughs> yeah, right. So you you. you Obviously, did all your schooling down in ta- whereabouts in Tasmania? 
Hobart. Hobart, yep, oh, yep. righto. So um, you do your primary schooling and high schooling uh, down in Hobart. How, how, how did you go through school? Were you a smart-ass clown or a Mate, geek? I was a pretty shit student. Um, yeah. I think uh, I think I got a, a chip on my shoulder really young about about school for some reason. Um, yeah, I think it was changing school so many times when I was really young, especially with a name like Clancy being pretty different. So yeah. If <laughs> a name like Clancy, then you kind of become the centre of attention yeah. pretty quick and not, not in a good way. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I remember very early on not not enjoying school, not liking it, and decided I didn't want to have any part of it. And that kind of continued on all the way through till, till I finished year 10, really. And I, I probably barely scraped through year 10. Yeah, right. In fact, uh, my, my vice principal in the high school I went to, the last half of high school, he was hindsight, he was an awesome guy. Uh, at the time, I didn't like him much, but he kept me in detention for about about half of year ten, um, and I think that's the only reason that I that I finished finished with a school certificate. Um, didn't uh, didn't complete all my subjects, but uh, yeah, I completed about half my subjects enough to get a school certificate, and then uh, left school and went straight into uh, first off the fishing industry, so fishing boats and yep. fish processing, fish factories and stuff like that. Um, yeah, and I was probably on a pretty shit path in life. Yeah. Like to be honest, I don't you know I don't talk about it too many people nowadays. I suppose, um, particularly like you know my, my parents in law don't don't really know about my, my past or anything like that. But <laughs> I was in trouble trouble with the police a fair bit as a as a juvenile. Yeah, um, you know, and uh, yeah, that's a bit you know a bit nervous about you know really bringing it up too much or going too many details here. To be honest with you, yeah. Um, but I remember I, I sort of had a moment of clarity at about the age of eighteen. Yep, and and realised if I kept Going the way I was going, I was going to wind up, you know, probably going to jail and being in and out my whole life, which seems, which is a fairly, in my limited exposure, is kind of what happens to, to, to people who get on the wrong traps sometimes. Yeah. You know, you, they get become institutionalised in that yeah. fashion. Yeah. Okay, and wind up going in and out of jail. Yeah. Anyway, um, I remember just having this moment of clarity and going, fuck, what are you doing, mate? You know, and it wasn't like I was going down the path of being what might, one might consider a respectable criminal or anything like that. I was just better at dead shit, just crap stuff. So, um, yeah, basically I moved. And um, back in those days, you know, it was pre, pre-internet, pre pre-Facebook. I mean, yeah. I'm 43, so this was like 1997. Yeah. Um, and just cut off like nobody had phones or anything but didn't get in touch with anyone I knew from school or, or from where I grew up or anything like that and um, basically started fresh. Um, I'd always been interested in martial arts, done a little bit as kids, most kids do, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so basically started getting very seriously into that. Uh, stopped, you know, didn't stop any drinking. I used to smoke a bit of dope, didn't any of that. Quit smoking cigarettes. The only bad habit I had, I just sort of shed overnight um, and spent the next few years of my life training five yeah, right. days a week in kickboxing or Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I got really lucky, actually. I um. So I started doing I started doing Aikido, which, you know, like Stephen Seagal bullshit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't worry about, you know, whatever my opinion of that may or may not be. Um, and I happened to meet through some friends, um, this guy who became my coach, Adam Newton, and he I was invited to go to the police academy in Rokeby, um, which is a suburb in Tasmania, to try out this ground fighting thing. And I'd never heard of it. And I tried one one session I was hooked, like just on the ground getting yep. getting crushed and choked and stuff like that. And so I started training with Adam, um, BJJ and Muay Thai, Muay Thai kickboxing, and of course MMA. And so that was in '97, so it was very, it was very new in Australia at the time. Yeah. 
Blood, used to get, there was only get blood a guy sport. come down. Say again. <laughs> remember, remember that movie, Bloodsport? Yeah, oh, really yeah. Well. <laughs> there you go. That was the that was the yeah. you know the start of the MMA world, blood sport. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, I know you like we used to get a guy come down from uh, Melbourne. His name's John Will, and he gives us a seminar like once every three months, and we get like three moves, and we just practice them religiously, and um, it sort of grew from there. So that's that's kind of what I did for a few years. I I wound up getting um, an apprenticeship as a as a, oh, as a cylinder head reconditioner, so for cars, yeah. basically it's a boiler maker. Um, and I was just training martial arts and, and working and working as that. And um, yeah, so I I had uh, once again I remember looking around the workshop. I'd sort of just sort of coming towards the end of getting my trade papers and stuff like that. And I looked at, looked around. I was in my early twenties by then, and I just saw these guys in their forties doing exactly the same thing as me. Yeah. It's like, there's no way I can do this the rest of my life. No way. So sort of, you know, I thought, oh, what do I want to do with myself? And um, I thought I'd go to uni and uh, and try and study engineering, um, which is pretty cocky considering the fact that I barely, barely finished high school. Right? <laughs> but, um, I've never been one to think my way through things too much. I always probably followed my heart and my passion yeah. and just just gone for it. Um so I, you know, I applied for uni and I was struggling to get in, obviously, as a mature age student because of my educational background and wound up at, uh, going to TAFE. I was doing a diploma of mechanical engineering. And at the same time, I, I started a, a new a new gym with my, my then coach and one of our mates. Um, <clears throat> so three of us started this gym together. Uh, life's a funny thing. At the same time, I, that's when I joined the reserves, actually. So I was in, you know, I was 23 and I joined the reserves. And so the... Anyway, the long story short, the reason that I joined the military was I wanted money to go through uni or to go through schooling. Yeah, right. But there's no, yeah, I'd never had any inclination to join the military. In fact, being brought up by a hippie, <laughs> just been spoon fed my whole life that soldiers were, soldiers were, you know, the, the, the military was evil and soldiers were all yeah. angry, mean people that couldn't be trusted. And like, honestly, that's, that's was like really in my mindset. About the military, right? I had, uh, wow, yeah, but I, you know, I, I don't know, I must have seen some ads or something like that. So I thought, oh, yeah, 13, 19, uh, try, you know, like one week, yeah, <laughs> this is the edge, <laughs> yeah, that's your back in the day. It was, it was the 1912 overture, right? Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> you know, you look back on YouTube at those ads now, and you're like, yeah, Jesus, yeah, cheese ball, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, it worked. <laughs> it worked, man. I mean, it's a very catchy tune. Um, so I remember, yeah, so I decided to join up and um, and as I was going through recruiting, so I, I thought I wanted to join as a medic. Yep. And the, but the guy who, who I sort of first met with as a as a recruiter or what have you, he was an infantry guy and he said to me, yeah, 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 join infantry, be a patrol medic. I was like, cool, okay, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, no, no concept of what the military is like. I had no no idea that like yeah. the silo, the yeah. different different trades or anything like that. So I was, yeah, cool. I joined the infantry and I was sort of going through the paperwork there. We had the um Easter show on in, in Tassie and and I remember I went there to see the see all the all the army stands and stuff and because the guy invited me along and there was a military police stand there as well. And there was a dude there and he had he had the riot armor on and a stick and he had sort of kids hitting him with a stick and stuff like that. And when <laughs> I was competing in kickboxing at the time and I remember I said to this this MP um military police for Civilian listeners um, said, "Oh mate, what if I kick you?" He goes, "Yeah, no worries at all, right?" <laughs> I'm like, "Cool." And, and so I had hold of this stick, and, and I said to him, "Mate, 
Gooding, yeah, yeah, good. Absolutely smashed this guy <laughs> with a couple of shin kicks to the thigh. Um, and because they like the padding's probably all right if you get hit with a little stick or yeah. rocks thrown at you or something like that, but not a, a flat out shin kick, right? And I remember he's going, Oh, fuck, you fucking dickhead, piss off. Sort of thing. And I was like, Oh, I sort of held the stick out, the baton out to him and held it, you know, and then I just walked off. And I remember thinking to myself as I left, going, Oh, man, that's like, these guys aren't going to want me in the army now. The, yeah. the recruiters, I had no idea. These infantry guys are watching this. They thought I was the best. Thing <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because you you look look now. You know, with your time in the military, you, you see MPs, and that's all you want to do is just kick them. Yeah, <laughs> and exactly. you got to. That's what, that's, that's what they're there for. Right? That's why they wear that that, that funny looking red hat, right? <laughs> that shitty red hat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Kick pads. Yeah, basically. Yeah, human kick shields. Um, so anyway, I went through, um, yeah, got recruited and everything like that. And no, no, she's there, I suppose. But yeah, so then I went to Kapuka. And it was, that was. This is a. As, sorry, just cutting. This is a, as a yeah, reserve, reserve set, Choco. Yep. Yeah, as a reserve set, yeah, mate. Um, yeah, and it definitely cut me off if I talked to him. No, 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 no. You're yep. all right. Go for it. So yeah, that was a reserve set. That was late 2002. And then it was early 2003, I went to Kapuka. And um, I didn't know until about a, about a year later when my platoon sergeant back in the reserve unit I was in told me. Um, apparently, they, they must have been looking through my, you know, my, my file or whatever. Yeah. And I don't know what they can see, what they can't. Um, apparently, they rang up my unit and said, who is this guy who sent us? We're sending him back because I still had criminal record from juvenile offences at the oh, time. Just petty, petty yeah, yeah. crap, you know, like, um, you know, like drunk and disorderly. Yeah. And, like nothing like that. But anyways, this, you know, they were going to send me home. I had no idea. Apparently my platoon sergeant said, no, he's Kapuka now, I'll keep him. Um, so yeah, right. nobody said a thing to me. Fuck. Went through Kapuka, no problems, came back, um, doing my reserve days, studying. Anyway, like I said, my, <clears throat> I was in partnership with two other guys for this martial arts gym and one of them, his, his partner worked for the government. So he, so she had to, she got posted to Canberra. So he went to Canberra and he left and then my, my original coach, Adam, his marriage broke up and he became a single father. And so he couldn't, couldn't train. Um, he's just too busy with the kids. And so I wound up running this full-time gym by myself, trying to study full-time, and I was doing reserve days as well. And I was just loving, loving the Army stuff. Yeah. Just couldn't get enough. Yeah, right. And so, yeah, I just just couldn't believe how, how awesome it was, right? Yeah. Um, and so after about six months, I just I shut the gym, quit studying, and um, put my app for the full-time Army. Yep. Once again, with my naivety, I'm like, oh, yeah, but you're out there. And like two weeks later, you, yeah. <laughs> you're off in the regular army, right? It took about nine months to go through. Yeah, it does. Uh, you know you know how these things yeah. go. So I sort of wound up a couple of odd jobs here and there, um, but mostly just being a super, super chock. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I know you sort of started in the reserves as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, same thing, mate. Yeah. Just got green. Just You just get yeah, greener. Yeah, green. <laughs> yeah. and, and, if you, and if you're really keen, then it's like every course – Every exercise, oh, anything and everything, helping out in the yeah. queue store. Yeah, I'm there. So I think, <laughs> oh, mate, it was so good. I think at one point I was doing like two weeks reserve time and two weeks nothing else. Yeah, and just hanging out with my mates and, and, and it's good money. And, um, Ta- oh, tax free, tax, tax free, tax yeah. free money, tax right? Free good, yeah. yeah. So for two weeks you've got no expenses and you're being fed, and two weeks you've got a, a reserve, a tax free reserve pay to yeah to spend. Right, yeah. as a young dude, I wasn't wasn't saving anything. Yeah. Um, and living in Hobart, if you haven't been there, if you don't know, it's such a yeah. small place. No concept of how good I had it. So I'd do these two weeks, go and bush or whatever, 
and then come back and I'd be hanging out with my mates. And in one day, I could go mountain bike riding, rock climbing, go to the gym and do jujitsu. Yeah. All in one day. Yeah. And you know, living in Sydney now is like it takes 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah. Go anywhere. To do one thing. So it's like you do one activity in a day, right? Yeah. So that was sort of my life for a few months there. And that was, um, yeah, that was, that was mad. Like, seriously, one of the best times of my life. Yeah. Um, yeah. Having, having a great time with that. Um, but yeah, eventually I, and uh, eventually, I, yeah, my transfer to, to the regular army came through. Yep. Um, yeah. So actually, sorry, I should backtrack a bit. I was actually in the reserves for about two years. Yeah. Sort of made it, yeah. I think I made it sound like I was sort of only in there for six yeah. months or so, but yep. I was there for about two years all up. Um, so the deal I got from Schema to get into the regular army is I had to go through Singo, even though I'd done, yeah, done my training through yeah. reserves, which happens sometimes. And I think I, I listened to one of your podcasts before with, a, with the SAS trooper, yeah, I think his name and mate of yours from yeah, Singo, yeah, yeah, Blue, yeah, Blue, Blue, yeah, yeah, he's a funny boat, isn't he? Is, he yeah, is, he was a fucking cracker, <laughs> yeah. um. Yeah, so the same sort of thing as him because I, I went through Singo. Yeah, I had to go into the battalion, and it was it was pretty good. I didn't come to the battalion with that. You've just come from a reserve unit stigma. Not that that's a problem. Like you know how it is. Some yeah, guys, yeah. Go I, had, I had the choice. Like, I had the choice as well to either yep. do Singo. It's funny because you, you remember Mick Albright. Yep. He was in my Choco battalion with me and Blue, but he went straight to the battalion. To straight to three yeah, hour without yeah, going to yeah. Singo. And we spoke to him and said, What's it like? He goes, Just do Singo. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, Yeah, right. And, and that's about the site. I mean, because I remember when we'd get guys coming in straight from reserves, and if they're a good dude and they knew they had their skills, like, yeah, they'll fine after a week or two, yeah. right? Yeah. But some guys would come in if they were, just had the wrong attitude, a bit mouthy, or just that sort of person. Yeah. You sort of put their head above the wall, so to speak. Yeah. Man, they could have a hard time. Oh yeah, coming across. So I was pretty glad in, in hindsight that Especially I went through Singo. Did you go through Singo? Yeah, 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 yeah. I did Singo? Yeah, yeah, Def- <clears throat> yeah. And that's classic three R A R. Yeah. Um, when I remember when I was at Singo, I had the choice of three R A R or five seven. Yep. And um, at the time, I just thought, oh, darling, it's just too far away from home. So I went went to three R A R and Good typical choice. of my sort of naivety, I, I was like, I didn't really know what this paratrooper thing was. Yeah. Like, oh, Whatever, uh, yeah. <laughs> Once again, stepped into deep water. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think I, I got to three hour hour in um, second half of two thousand five. Yeah, yeah, right. And uh, posting a Bravo company. I think you were in Alpha then. Lee? I was in Alpha. Yeah, I was in Alpha. Yep. When you, <clears throat> how, how did you find Singo? Like coming from Chocos, obviously you had the the basic knowledge of, or you, you have more knowledge on, you know. Section weapons, essentially, as well, and tactics. Not that there was much tactics in infantry back in those days. It was quite Vietnam style still. Um, How did you find training? No drums at all. Obviously, you, you were quite fit as well because through your uh, fighting as well. So I'm sure that side. Of yeah, things. Look, yeah, definitely. I, I was, um, I was fit. I think. Um, look, I hated Kapuka, and but I think that's more a personality issue. Yeah, like I don't. I don't take very well to being yelled at or anything that that military mentality, particularly that that's put on a kapuka. Especially, I if don't it, think it's it, quite as yeah. Especially, target. especially if it was a cook, because we had a cook like a one of the section commanders was a cook, and <laughs> one was like, I was just like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> oh, man, I this had this artillery bombardier. Yeah, and um, I've actually met the guy since, though he didn't remember who I was, but I remember him. And he was a he was a warrant officer by then, 
and he's like he's probably a really nice guy. Yeah. But he's like he's six foot five, dumb as fuck. <laughs> right? He's one of, the least, <laughs> one of the least intelligent human beings I've ever met in my life. And but he was just that classic bombardier. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I've been in the army two minutes. So I can't remember. Yeah. Um yeah, so anyway, I, I didn't enjoy Kapuka a great deal. Yeah. Um, so I got through it. But Singer, yeah, Singer was good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, once again, coming from a, as a reservist, particularly, I mean, I'd done I've done my IETs in reserves. I'd done a, a signalist course. Um, I'd done sub one, mm. done a few exercises, done a mill skills, a few things like that. I think when I got there, the instructors thought I needed to bring down a peg or two. Yeah. Um, and maybe I probably did. I don't know. Um, so I remember the first couple of weeks, they, they smashed me pretty hard. And then after that, I mean, I had a bit of a lazy seco. He made me to IC for what is thing. I was 13 weeks, I think, at the time. I think for like 11 weeks, I was to IC. Yeah. And he would do stuff like, oh, mate, I, I just got to go and do some admin. Can you just run some section attacks with the boys? <laughs> that, um, would, would happen, you know, like those sort of things would happen a little bit. Yeah. And, but I mean, on, on the whole, like, I, I enjoyed seeing it. Was, yeah. It's a good course. It was. Know. Um, very much, mind you, to compare it to reserves, I don't believe I got particularly better training at CO than I did in reserves. No. The main difference would be a lot more live fire. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think we, we tipped the boxes in reserves for live fire section attacks. Yeah. But that was it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that, that, was probably, that was probably the main you know the main difference. Other than that, I actually, you know, 21 who ever asked, and I honestly think a good reserve soldier He's as skilled oh, 100%. as a, as a, red, as well, a regular the, the, soldier, you the, know, the, and the they, training they get is, good training too. Yeah, exactly. As you said, the training is, the, you know, it is the same. I, I guess um, I come from 2549. Me and Blue come from 2549. So at that stage, our uh, secos that we had there, they were all three-hour. They were all ex-three-hour, like full-time soldiers teaching, you know, Mark Adcock. He was our, one yep. of our uh, secos on, on our uh, IETs, you know. I mean, that's who we were getting taught by. So the training was – but obviously you just, rather than doing a 13-week block, you're doing two weeks here, two weeks here, two weeks here. So it's the same shit. Back then, these days, I'm not sure, like I couldn't tell you, but I know it'd be probably shit now. Yeah. A lot different. A lot lot, yeah. lot more PC different. Oh, fuck yeah, it would yeah. be. Yeah, that's, and that's, I mean, you hear that like going through Kapuka. But the problem is they still have ways to make your life hell. Oh, yeah. And in some regards, I actually think it's just better just to be yelled at and boosted and then it goes away than have some other – Bullshit administrative punishment held over your head, yeah. which, which is the other way of dealing with these things, right? Yeah. Um, that, that would be my opinion. I mean, for instance, a, as an example, we're like, you under the, you know, look at the civilian workforce. I'm sure you deal with it with your staff now, right? So you'd have to give someone an informal talk, yeah, and a formal talk with a follow up email. And then if, if the problem persists, then you've got to go into a performance management plan, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, treat people treat people like adults. Yeah, tell them, hey, mate, pull your fucking socks up. Yeah, at, like, think, yeah. And then the problem, you know, if somebody fixes their problem, then you're going with life as if nothing's nothing's happened, right? Rather than yeah, this continual way of punishing people slowly to death. Exactly. Right. When you when you were in Singapore, were you there during winter or summer? Winter, winter. Ooh, yeah. Shit. Did you ever did you ever come down to the um, city to, to run a muck? Um. <clears throat> No, I, I think I escaped one weekend, went back to Tassie, yeah. sort of girlfriend. Um, but are you talking about going in, into actual Singleton? No, to, to Newcastle. 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 Oh, Newcastle. No, no, I never did. I feel oh. I did. Um, I just never bothered. Yeah. I mean, I, 
Yeah, I think I've maybe been a little bit older. Yeah. Um, just kind of there just to get the course done in a lot of regards. So I kept pretty quiet. Like a couple of times went and had a couple of beers in Singo. Uh, pretty lucky I avoided all the miners. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, yeah never, never made it to the, uh, the bright city lights of Newcastle. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, um, so 2005, you get to the battalion, and I'm, we would have crossed paths 2005. And, you know, you were in Bravo Company, did you say? Yeah, Bravo Company. So I'm pretty sure. Because when did you go? You went to support, yeah? I went to support, uh, started 2006 because I did mortars. And then I got busted uh, in a night parachute jump. And I was out for all of 2006. Everyone's going to Timor and Iraq. And I'm just in broken platoon with all the malingerers. Fucking chitters. <laughs> all, the, all the malingerers. Yeah. So, but yeah. I, mean, I don't think we really ran across each other till much. Probably, maybe even 2007, to be honest with yeah, you. Yeah, I, um, I think it was. I, I remember Timor. I knew your face. And, yeah. Yeah, Timor. And I think I, like, I knew who you were, so to speak. Yeah. I don't think we ever had anything to do with no, each other until no. well, it's, it's And that's kind of like <clears> that <throat> when when there's, when there's you're in a different company. Like, it's just a different, you know, you're, they're, oh, fuck, there's Bravo Company. There's those stinking blokes. <laughs> those those yeah, shitty exactly. those shitty T-shirts he's had made up. We're going to Afghanistan. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember, I remember them. It was that. Yeah, it's a tiny riding training training, training for yeah. Afghanistan 2008 and huge letters. <laughs> and, then, and then support company gets it and we're like, yeah, fuck yous. <laughs> yous. But um, yes. And we were so dirty. <laughs> so how did you find your time um, in 3RR? Did you enjoy it? Mate, I loved it. Yeah. I, it's the best. Mate, time. I had the best. <laughs> it, fuck it, how good is it, yeah. man? Best dudes. Yeah. The best, like, it, it's one of those things too, if you embrace the life, yeah. In the military. And especially then I, I was single. Um, so no family, no family commitments to worry about. Fuck, being a young soldier yeah. is possibly cool. the best thing that any any man can do for himself, right? I can't speak for I mean, I was try to be pretty see there's there's chicks in there's chicks in the military, no issue, right? Yeah. I just can't speak for it'd be like to be a chick in the military, hence why I'm saying yeah. for a young man being in the military, fuck, it is the it, best it was, life. It was fun. Out, it was awesome. Yeah, mate. How how good is it? It's yeah. fucking sick. I was single in my time, like for yeah. half of it. And sorry, Clancy. And yeah, it was the first half I had a missus, and the second half my laser for four years. It was fucking sick. You know, we're going overseas to the Middle East, and just every port, you didn't give a fuck. You just hitting the piss, just chasing birds. You're on Tinder, whatever, That's mate. With with all the boys, you don't give a fuck about your car insurance back home. You fucking you you whatever is happening back home. You're just like boys. We're going to this bar. There's fucking ball. There's some Arab chicks there. In your <laughs> 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 yeah, it's about the size of it. <laughs> but, but, but the whole thing is wrapped up in this safety net, this blanket of the military. Yeah. yeah. So you like, especially for a young, for a young man. I mean, we don't, you know, we're not, we're not designed to operate in, or in my opinion, you're not, we're not sort of designed to function in, in modern society very well. Yeah. Probably until you're in your thirties, or you know, until you get a bit older, right? Yeah, definitely. Like young dudes, that, and so just having that didn't matter how badly you messed. Like you, you could blow your paycheck. Yeah, you go and do something yeah, dumb, right? Yeah, every fortnight. The mess you get fed at the mess. You know, like there's always bed, there's always food. Yeah, you know what I mean. And and yep. then your, your job was to hang out with other dudes. Right, and do do stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's so true. Right? Yeah. It's so true. What more could right, you want? Right. But you know, yeah. And the same, but at the same time, you don't realise at the time you're getting this amazing framework of training and yeah. discipline, right? And 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 the, and I guess the, the enforced 
health benefits of, you know, that the PT expectations and, and the lifestyle that goes along with being a soldier, right? So even if, it, if it's something like if you, you know, if, if you hadn't have become a soldier and you drifted off into some other civilian avenue and, you know, if you go into office work, go into sales or something like that, and you so you've got no framework there to guide you and give you that that discipline, right? As a young man, so if you run a mark, then then you've you know then you're probably in trouble, right? You're going you're going you know you you live and lean for a week, um, you get trouble in trouble in the office for something, then it impacts your career. Yeah. But at the same time, too, you don't have that enforced enforced physical discipline in terms of having a having to maintain a, a fitness stand or something like that. Yeah. So your health can start to decline from from your twenties, right? Yeah. When it's just it's just there's, there's almost no there's almost no downside to being a soldier for a young man, in my no, mind. No, there isn't. It's you know, I mean, yeah, sure. You go overseas, you might get shot, blown up. You may come away, you know, you come away with a few emotional, emotional, mental scars. Um, if you if you don't come away with physical scars, but you know what? That's that's kind of half of what being a human, particularly a man, is about, right? Is yeah, no, exactly. Facing facing your fears, facing risks. Yeah, and, and fucking doing that and living a life, right? So yeah, I, I just couldn't sing the praises of being a soldier highly enough. Yeah. So um, when did you get your first deployment uh, as Timor? Yeah, Timor 06. Yep. Um, so yeah, that was. I mean, I remember when that you know spooled up. Did you? You didn't get on that one. I, you busted, I was, you shot, I was busted, yeah. You know what? I think oh, I'm pretty certain I met you. When did you do your paracourse? Uh, 2005. Right. I'm pretty sure I met you in lead up or spoke to you in lead up to 06. Yeah. Because I remember. You've been bitter as because your shoulder was. I was. You were having your shoulder. About ten of us. <laughs> there's bitter. about ten. Well, yeah. the, the worst part there was about ten in in the in, in Delta Company. It was Del, admin company. Um, out of the ten, like there was probably two or three that were actually we were actually injured. Like I, yeah. I literally just had shoulder reconstruction, and but there was like, you know. You, you know, you know, we had those fucking malingerers that would just sky about mm. anything. You know, they were just yeah. fucking wimps. You know, I don't, I don't even know their names, but they're all gone on probably. Oh, but um, yeah, yeah, I was just, yeah, I was, I was ropeable. And it was, it's funny because we we're just speaking about it to a Delta operator just before. You know, he, he had something similar. You know, and we we're just talking about, you know, that's the reason why you join the army is because you want to get overseas and get some gongs and, yeah. you know, hopefully you shoot some bad motherfucker in the face. Have, you know, have I mean? a like, life, have a life, and yeah. you know, do, do what you're trained to do. So yeah, I was, I was bitter as a motherfucker. <laughs> I can tell yeah, you yeah, I reckon yeah, go and live that adventure, you know, and that's that's what that's what you're there for. I think that's I mean, it's something that I never I can never quantify to, to civvies either. Like there's a lady up the road here, and you know, every time I run into her, she's like, oh, it must be so good now that you're out of the army, and I'm like. Fuck, you don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like, and it's, it's not, you know, like like you say, there's that aspect that you want to get over, you know, you don't get overseas and shoot some motherfucker in the face. But it's not just, and that, I think that's what people think. Yeah. It's not just that. It's it's no, like. It's the whole thing. You, the whole, yeah, just man, if you're, doing yeah, your job. If you're a builder. Yeah. yeah if you're a builder and you, and you dug holes all day just to practice digging holes, right? Yeah. It'd be a fucking pretty shit career. Yeah. Well, that's what being a soldier is. Yeah. You, you practice doing your job all the time until you get to do your job. So yeah. that is probably the best explanation I've yeah. heard in forever to yeah. someone in the defence force. Like us being being sailors, you know, you, you like we like we train to put out fires. Not saying I want I want to ship ship to catch on fire, but <laughs> like we're there, we're fucking trained to shoot other ships and shit. You know that that day, hopefully, it never ha- never never goes. But same thing, you know, to get overseas to do the shit like boarding boarding parties or fast roping or like diving ops. You know, to do it for like real time, yeah. it's, it's pretty cool shit. You know, and 
It's yeah. I, I fucking miss it, but also a lot, a lot being being out in the navy as well. Yeah, but. and obviously, like at that stage too, <laughs> like early two thousands, you know, prior to that, you know, the ninety eighties and nineties, there was shit all operations going on. You know, there was better Rwanda and uh, you know Fuck Somalia, etc. You know, minimal stuff, peacekeeping stuff. Yeah. So you know, at that time, as you said, when we when we got in, there was just here's a deployment to. Fuck, choose a, choose a spot and you'll get a deployment there. You know, in Iraq, like what, Afghanistan. And it's Solomon 2001. Island, yeah, it was just yeah. everywhere. Real deployments yeah. too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, good good deployments. You know, like we really, we sort of really came off that being a peacetime army for a long time, you know, yeah. and um, and then and then going into actually becoming a defence force that was very active and we were very active, you know. Um, it's a very interesting time, good time to be in. I mean, look, I don't want to rub it into you, but like 06, Mate, the second best trip ever did. Yeah, right. Fucking was good. Like I think I spent, I remember I was over there five and a half months, I think, on that trip. Yeah. Li- living out of my pack. Now, we were on rations most of the time, up in the hills. Yeah. Um, it, it was great. It was yeah. one of the best experiences I had. And also, I just remember, just the experience um, and what I'm, I don't mean experiences in like, you know, going on a Kentucky tour, having an amazing adventure experience. I mean, <laughs> the actual <laughs> professional experience as a soldier yeah. was was bloody good. Yeah. Like just that actually, like you go, on, you go on an axe for two weeks or three weeks or six weeks and live out of your pack and it's like, yeah, it is what it is. Shit. You do five and a half months living out of your pack. Yeah, shit. Yeah. You do five and a half months living out of your pack and actually learn what it is to actually live on Employment yeah. in that way, um, like the the lifestyle rot- rotation and stuff that you have. Um, so yeah, so I mean, I man, I, it was so good. We had uh, used to for quite a, for a, probably I think two months there. The platoon I was in, we we're in this little FAB in Amira, which is up in up in the hills. It's high enough up that there's no mosquitoes up there, which is and, and yeah. at night it was cold enough you need a sleeping bag. So good. So you could actually sleep comfortably at night, wrapped yeah. up in a sleeping bag. You didn't have to worry about mosquitoes. And there's this, uh, and the, the this village we were in. Like when we got there, it was dead. Like it was just completely dead. The, the police had police had left because the who knows whatever's going on in that place. That I think we were told the police had left because they were scared of the gangs. In my opinion, the police probably left because they were had other things that they were doing somewhere else. Yeah. that was more lucrative, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, so like all the shops in the in the town were just shut, everybody was staying out of town. I remember within about a week of us being there, we didn't do a damn thing except set up camp in this abandoned house, do our own security, do regular patrolling in the in the village and do extended patrols in the hills. That's all we did. Yeah, right. And the town came back to life within a week. Shops opened, the market started again. Yeah. And it, it's, it, you know, it's in particularly later on getting to, ponder on that and and especially once I you know knew a lot more as a soldier about how security operations work and stuff. It was amazing that basically we brought peace and security to that area just by our presence. Yeah. No no action. Exactly. You didn't have to do a thing. Just being there allowed those people to feel safe and live a relatively or a normal life for them. Yeah. Um yeah, it's funny you know, and that's that, that like just to touch on that, like you know, I'll quickly just jump forward to Afghanistan. That's the exact same thing, you know. A lot of people don't see that. Just us being there and deterring the Taliban and giving these people the free right to live without the fear of the Taliban coming in chopping their heads off. You know, that's what a lot of people don't know. A lot of civvies here in Australia 
around the world probably don't even know that, you know, especially like, you know, early days of Afghanistan, reconstruction task force, stuff like that, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, but um, yeah, anyway, back to, back to Timor, back to rubbing it in. Yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> but you're exactly right. Like people, and you can't expect people to do it. It's, just, it's the same thing as in we didn't do what we did for the thanks or the gratitude of the people. Yeah. Right. You, you do it. You, you do it because it's, it's the right thing to do exactly. in the military. Um, but People don't like, and you don't expect people, and you can't educate people on how military operations shape the world or shape the culture or shape the society that they're in. Um, But look, man, honestly, the Australian government and the Australian military is an entity for good in the world. Exactly. And there's there's fucking no doubt about it. And you have these, and and by extension, I actually believe the whole coalition is in reality. Yeah. You know, in a perfect world, you wouldn't have to have military operations, but it's not a perfect world. It's not filled with perfect people. Okay. So people who want to slam the US, for instance, as being the world police or, well, I'll tell you what, there's a hell of a lot worse empires out there. Yeah. Like there is a big evil dark <laughs> empire out there yeah. right now that's just coming to get <laughs> us, I think. Yeah. But we could probably talk about that later. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> back, to, back to World War Timor. Um, so how long, how long did you spend yeah, so, in Timor? Well, I did three trips there. So I did 06, 07, 08. Yep. And I think I spent about 18 months there was, all up. Was that all with Bravo Company? No, so I did two with Bravo, um, 06, 07, and then I was in support company. did um, eight months there as yep. a sniper. So, eight, so 07 Bravo company, oh, that was a trip I went on, and that was a, yep. that was an interesting uh, trip. Oh, dude. A few drunken escapades and I think I've heard yep. crash stories. and oh mate, uh, gas grenades. What was the gas grenade? Yeah, yeah. Was that was that by <laughs> yeah. you, you, you Clancy? It wasn't me. Oh, we all know who it is. Oh, yeah, okay. He lives up here yeah, actually. He lives, lives here, here in Newcastle. Newcastle. He lives here in Newcastle. Mine is the worst kept secret in the military, that one. <laughs> Pretty funny though. <laughs> CSM grenade. Yeah. Tell yeah. Tell us Clancy what happened for all the viewers that don't know the one. Okay, for, I guess from my perspective, um, I remember at the time, so I was on on rockers on restriction of privileges. Um, <laughs> so let's let's just uh, before we get into the gas story, what was the only restriction? Get, so the two thousand seven Timor trip was just it was just a I don't know like a curse trip. I don't know what it was, but was it was just up? everyone was just. Mental. I don't know. Maybe it was maybe it was the doxy that was just working on everyone's brains. I don't know. But let's get into the. Why were you on restriction of privileges, uh, Clancy? Oh, mate, that was it. Was the worst trip. It seriously was. Like yeah. I don't know what was going on in that company at the time. Right. Um, <clears throat> so I guess I'll, I'll be careful not to name names or anything <laughs> like that for fear of other people's reputations. So my section that I, the section that I was in, we had to go out and do basically a. a you, the concept was we we're doing communications check at a at a point a little bit a little bit um a little bit north of Dilly. Letitia. Um yeah, Lakeisha. Yeah, that's so we were we got we got called the Lakeisha Eleven. Um so it was the section, the acting platoon sergeant, a signaler, and I think that's it, yeah, acting platoon sergeant, a signaler, a nine man section. So we drove out there and we had to we had to put up a, a comms tower, a clerk mast and um and, and just check comms from out there. <laughs> Man. <laughs> so we, we get there um, and I think it's like two cases of beer and the boys went hard at it. It's, a, it's, actually, it's actually quite not embarrassing for me, but I guess it's pretty humiliating or shameful for the military or yeah. the army in, yeah, in hindsight, right? It was, it, was, it, was, it was honestly a fucking shit show. Yeah. Um, like I remember 
you know, being there and young soldiers staggering around, staggering around drunk, <laughs> drunk as fuck in the middle of the day, right? <laughs> dislocated from our, dislocated from our, uh, our, 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 uh, our fob. Um, we had, it's just shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like a, a very terrible thing, right? So you end up getting in Hang trouble. Yep, you're up. Um, so, for, and, anyway, so I remember I, I was sick with the flu, like, Really crook, yeah. With the flu at the time, and it's not because I'm any sort of angel or anything, but for that reason, I remember I had I had four beers total, yeah. So I was the only one who wasn't, and that was spaced out over a bit of time. So I was the only person who wasn't blind drunk, um, in the whole out of the eleven of us, um, you know, and everyone else was spastic, um, <laughs> and so <laughs> we had a we hadn't set up we hadn't set up the comms tower, and the phone rings our our mobile phone rings right. And it's next to the platoon sergeant who was at that point late afternoon, passed out drunk. And so I ran over there to try and get the phone and he he answered it before I got there. And he was pretty insensible on the phone. And then he hangs up and I'm like, who's that? And he goes, Oh, it's the OC. <laughs> and uh and so then the phone rang again. I said, Look, let me answer it. And I answered the phone. I spoke to the OC and he's like, Where are you? And I told him where we were and it's like where we we're meant to be. And so what's going on? Oh, nothing, you know, sorry, you know, the platoon sergeant was just asleep and um Goes get back here now, okay. <laughs> so packed up the cars, um, drove back, got in the front gate, and that the, the MPs waiting for us. Um, they breathed out everyone, right? And I blew zero, yeah, because um, I hadn't hadn't been hadn't been drinking basically. But I went up being charged anyway because I'm I'm an idiot. <laughs> afterwards, you know, because they said, "Oh, have you been drinking?" I'm like, "No, no," and I blew blew the breath out and blew zero, and um, and then. I got a serve from the RSM was there and he gave me a massive serve. Um, and then this this MP came to goes, Oh mate, how much did you really drink? And I said, Oh look, man, look, I had a couple of beers earlier on during the day, but I'm yeah. not drunk. And so they charged me with drinking anyway. Yeah. God, they're assholes. Yeah. <laughs> that's the daggers on their berets. <laughs> I did use this, you know. So I mean, I know I was pretty dirty on that. But fucked. I mean, you know, looking back from a long, you know, long time back, we were, you know, we had broken. The rules of the deployment, yeah, you know, drunk or not, yeah. we weren't allowed. We weren't allowed to take, we weren't allowed to drink. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm not proud of, not proud of that whole day at all. And I think it doesn't, doesn't really, doesn't reflect well on, on three hour hour at all. But no. it, was, it happened. No, right. that, that's exactly right, mate. It happens. Shit happens. You know, it is what it is. Simple. You know. Yeah. Um, There's a lot, lost, lot worse things that happen exactly. around the world. It won't be, won't be. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Anyway, so we were on we were on no restrictions of privileges for that. So, and they that, made so you privileges. just to, just to cut in, like they made you guys sleep in hoochies, didn't you? Outside, because I remember because I was inside my room and see you boys setting up your hoochies outside. That's her. to sleep outside for a week, I think. Yeah, yeah. that's fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, 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 mate, I always laugh about it because people like people say like I uh, say we get uh, illegal immigrants coming into Australia and we put them in a camp, right? Yeah. And what we process them, and they talk about the inhumane conditions they're in. Yeah. Well, for us, we were Australian <laughs> soldiers, and, and our, one of our privileges that was yeah. taken away from us was air conditioning. Yeah. Um, in in those those uh, those huts they had for us. So yeah, we had to sleep in the, under mozzie yeah. mozzie mozzie nets outside, right? Yeah, I remember. Um, yeah, so I remember. Yeah, we were, we were like lined up in a row, and and the CSM he had. It was an old bus step, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the CSM, he was sort of up in that glass tower where obviously yeah. whoever ran the place could sort of watch all the buses coming in and out and control the action. And so I was asleep in my – I was asleep. And I remember hearing this <laughs> pop, psh, 
And I, my eyes, my eyes flipped open, and I looked up, and I, I could see in this tower like it was glowing. And my first thought was, "Shit, we've we've been attacked, right?" I thought someone had fired some sort of munition yeah. into the tower. That was, I was just like, oh. good, "Good shot!" And <laughs> yeah, good shot. You know, I like I had no idea, and and um, CSM he came coughing like out of his and smoke just streaming out of that, that sort of glass tower of his and he's like coughing his guts up and the, the company Torsi, um, he he's a big guy. And I remember the CSN actually fell down the stairs. I, I saw yeah. it. And the, the Torsi caught him, physically caught him at the bottom of the stairs, which probably saved him from from getting injured. Anyway, um one of the boys who was next to me, he I don't know whether he knew what was going on. I honestly I didn't Honestly, didn't know what was going on <laughs> at the time. Um, I can once again, I suppose, walk around and head up my own ass, not, yeah. not fucking paying attention to what's happening. Right? <laughs> um, and he, I remember he, 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 he goes, that is the sound of karma. And rolls back over. So anyway, so we, we, you know, as you remember, the, the company gets pulled out prior. Yeah, yeah. At the front, they're trying to find out who it was. And that, obviously, they immediately thought it was someone in our section. Yeah. Who'd, um, who'd, who'd done it. I remember the, uh, the two I see like being in my face going, Private Roberts, you got anything you want to tell me? I was like, no, sir. <laughs> and like, I honestly didn't know what was going on, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah and look, once again, like we, we had to laugh about it and all that shit, but that's fucking pretty heavy duty, right? Yeah. Yeah, no. So you used a, a munition against one of their own troops. Yeah. It being, it was, you know, it, it was a gas grenade, so just designed for quieting, for quelling riots. Yeah. Um, so it is a non-lethal munition. Yeah. But that's pretty seriously bad news. Yeah. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. Happy party. How are you? <laughs> this, is, this is my son, Oscar. Hey, buddy. How you on, Oscar? Eating carrots, carrots yeah. You'll be able to see good at night now. Don't yeah. need night vision goggles. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, it's, it's one of the, you know, like, yeah, you laugh about it. And I guess I'm, I'm a little bit, um, particularly after spending time in a, in a unit like two commando. Yeah. Well, I feel a bit funny about talking about this on a podcast because it puts the unit and the military in bad light. Oh, it does. Shit, right? it does. It's actually pretty serious. Yeah, it is. Yeah. You're an adult now, so you understand the full, you yeah, know, the extent yeah, of the it. Full back then, of things, back right? then it was, you know. But again, that that's all the course of learning and growing up at the end of the day as well. Mate, you know, we were a wild crew. Yeah, three hour was three wild. Hour. <laughs> was it? It was wild. Like it wild was west. wild. Yeah. Like the boozer oh, was man. wild. You know, obviously, the shat. Was wild. Yep. If you didn't come out yeah. there with a black eye, um, you know, glassed or bottled or shit all over your, just if you didn't, if you didn't wake up the next morning and you went to the shat and it wasn't on fire or something was, wasn't burning, <laughs> something's wrong. But every time it was just a wild battalion. So it, the shat was the the boozer at Timor, the boozer back I'm, in Brizzy, back in uh, Holsworthy. Oh, Sydney. sorry, in Sydney. Sorry, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. three hour was a wild wild battalion. And it was yeah, known right. across throughout the military as well. So every time we'd go up to one hour or two up in towns or like we'd destroy something, we'd tip over guns. We, it was just <laughs> – it was it, it, it was brought on from, you know, the early 90s as well. It was just one of those battalions yeah. that was just out of control. Bad and ass motherfuckers. <laughs> well, see, we, we were, were like, you know, well-kept, like young men to be kept on a leash. Yeah. And it's the culture of the place. I mean – the other side of it was we were damn fine professional infantry soldiers too. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Bloody right. good at our jobs. That's the you know, yeah. yeah, you know, outside of all these these crazy experiences we've had, you know, when it come down to doing the job, 
it was done to perfection, you know, to the standard where it was, you know, shit, these guys know what they're doing. Like, and yeah. you know, the training was hectic. Like, it, we work hard, we played hard. That was, I think that was the, you know, that was where the meaning come from, I think. Work hard, play yeah. hard. <laughs> I, well, we had, we had a good warrior culture, you know. Yeah. So we really did, I think, in that battalion. And I, I think <clears throat> the whole army does, the whole, whole of infantry does. Yeah. And still does. And yeah, certainly definitely did. does, yeah. Um, and we, we, I think we, maybe we took it to the next level a little bit at times, and I think part of that was being paratroopers and having a chip on our shoulder. Yeah. Because um, we were just, you know, we are in Sydney, we are away from a lot of the other units. We had this this uh, insertion capability that kind of made us have to have a bit of gung-ho about us Yeah. Um, to do it, I, I suppose. Um, but, yeah, no. Um, well, up through our hour. Yeah, exactly. And as I said, mate, it shaped the shots the soldier you became. Um, so let's get let's get on to the two commando side of yep. things. So what you know, what stage? Obviously, <clears throat> two commando was literally next door to us in three hours. So you know, it was kind of an it was more of a just a progress. Like it were you almost certain it's to like a stepping stone. Stepping stone. Yeah, that's it. So it was yeah. just a stepping stone to get to uh, two commando. And so you know, what were you thinking? You know, how did you get across there? What was the the process. Yeah, so, um, well, as you know, I mean, I did, did uh sniper course in 2007. Yeah. And then um, and then sniper team leaders in NO9, and I remember I had um, I had an application be, be barred by the CO because being a critical trade in the unit. Um, but then I, that, that, that application went through. So it's kind of a no-brainer for me. I sort of felt like I was pretty good at my job. Um, I certainly enjoyed it. I just couldn't see like you owe it to yourself. If you're <clears throat> if you're an infantry soldier, you, you owe it to yourself to if you anything you do in life, right? You owe it to yourself to try and do it the best you can. And so as an infant, like if you play footy, you want to you you know you want to get a scene. You know I, I can't I don't know the correct terminology right for footy. I didn't grow up playing playing football, but you know you want to get a senior. You want to get to B grade. If you're in B grade, you want to be A grade, right? Mm. It, it's just the way life is. So for an infantry soldier, if you have any professionalism or any self-regard as well, then you want to be the best infantry soldier you can be. And so the next step up is two commando or SASR. You know, the same thing in the battalion. If you're in a company, you want to be in support company, you want exactly. to be in one of the specialist specialist roles, right? <clears throat> so for me it was it was just a natural, it was a no-brainer progression. Like I say it was a fairly natural progression from three RA to go across the road to two mm. Couple that with um, at the time three was moving to Townsville. And my wife has a has a really good career here in Sydney, and so I remember having it in my mind that if I didn't pass selection, then I was probably going to leave the army because I didn't want to, you know, sacrifice a very good career for her for something that was, I guess, I never never thought about or intended to be, a, a, you know, a lifer, a lifelong soldier. Yeah, it was always just like oh, an adventure I was having now. So with that in mind. I'm not, I was never thinking about it as like, <clears throat> I'm going to be here for another 20 years. So I certainly wasn't going to uproot my family and move move everyone to Townsville when my wife had a good career in Sydney that doesn't have the, so there's not the same sort of jobs for her in Townsville. Yeah. Basically, excuse me. <clears throat> um, yeah, so that's, um, I guess those things, you know, we'll put all those things together and that was my motivation for going to Two Commando. Yeah, right. So, um that was what 2008 2009 that was that was 2010 i did selection. 2010 so i actually yeah so i actually did sas selection in 2007 yep um 
And I remember, like, I, I, I withdrew on request actually off that, which is embarrassing for me. Um, but, like, I learned a lot. Yeah. I had no idea. <clears throat> I had no idea going into it what I was getting in for. Once again, being pretty naive, you know, the couple of guys that I was mates with Italian, well, they wanted to, you know, they wanted to do selection. And I was like, yeah, sounds pretty awesome. You know, like, if that's the, the best soldiers there are in the Australian Army, right? Um, so, you know, trained up with them, put my application in for it, um, got a Guernsey for selection. And what I wasn't prepared for was <clears throat> what Blue talked about, the silent running. Yeah. And and at the time, maybe some guys, some guys probably had a better understanding, but certainly I didn't know. I didn't. I didn't really. I didn't really know that there was a thing called Rio. I kind of, in my mind, this sort of narrow-minded view that you do selection and then like you're an SAS trooper and then you. I didn't sort of realise you'd have to do a whole Rio cycle. Not that, that was a problem, but I guess just to, just to give you an, an idea of how uneducated I was about it. <coughs> so. <clears throat> When I, got, when I got on the course and the way it's set up, so they don't give you any feedback, which is cool, but a lot of the things, activities you do, you sort of set up to fail mm. or or there's no pass mark given. So you're given the expect, or well, the impression I had was I was failing everything. Actually, can you just give me a minute? I just got to get a glass of water. Yeah, mate, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll come back and we can uh, kick off. COVID. From COVID. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, sorry, boys. So, yeah, so I, I trained for selection in 2007. Yeah. I trained really hard. Um Trying with Kari, as you know. So it's fit as there's no. Daddy. Yeah, mate. <laughs> I want to go to the park. Mate, I can't come to the park right now. I'm just busy, all right? Okay, I've got to talk for me. All right. <laughs> talk in a bit. See you, Oscar. <laughs> Hope you guys can edit that. Yeah, yeah, we'll. Yeah, mate, yeah. No, I know what it's like, <laughs> trust me. Um, So I trained for selection in 2007 with a good crew of guys. We trained very hard, so it's very physically ready. When I went over there for the course, and and so yeah, silent running. So like I wasn't really, I didn't really know how to deal with that, or I didn't, didn't, I'd never been exposed to to that before. And so I remember just feeling like I was failing everything, which is just sort of part of how the course is run, I suppose. Yeah, and it's probably a bit, it's probably a bit personality dependent. Like you know, some people, if you don't tell them how they're going, they think they're killing it. Some people, if you don't tell them how they're going, they think they're failing. Right? Yeah. Well, I fall into that second second category. If I don't get any feedback, I just assume I'm not doing very well. Yeah. Um, so I was pretty well, I was pretty down on myself for that on that course. Like, ah, oh, geez, you're just sucking at this, you know? Yeah. Um, so the, the mind game really got me and I, I hadn't done any mental preparation. I just didn't I didn't know. Yeah. So I had no sort of had had no done, had no preparation for how to deal with anything like that. Um so what <laughs> One day, one of the DS, we're doing something other, and one of the DS, he said to me, I had some dirt on my rifle. He goes, oh, have you cleaned that rifle? I was like, oh, no, sir. And he said, he said oh, do you want to pull off? He sort of caught me in a moment of weakness, basically, and I was like, yep, you know, and I'm done. I was just like, man, I'm just sucking at this. And I remember it was one of those things where the second it came out of my mouth, I was like, ah, oh, what have you done? Yeah. I just completely regretted it, right? <laughs> but also too proud to sort of say, no, no, no. He said to me, he goes, are you sure? He goes, I'll give you five minutes to think about it. Um. And he came back five minutes later. I'm like, yeah, yeah I'm done. And um, even, even though at the time I was like, damn, but I, <clears throat> once the words were out of my mouth, I didn't feel I could sort of attract them. So I went back to three and, man, I such a feeling of failure. Yeah. It was just, like, it was really shit. And, and and look, honestly, I had no reason to come off off that course. Physically, I was in great shape. Um, I think it was day 11. I was, you know, so there's no, like, 
like most guys, well, oh, I got injured or whatever. And there was nothing like that for me. It was purely, purely in my head. I just got beaten by the game. Yeah. How many and days is the course? Nineteen days. Three weeks. Yeah. I think. Fuck, you're over. Yeah. You're, you're over it almost. Yeah. I mean, there's way. different phases. Yeah, there's different yeah. phases of the course, and I know what they are now. And so I certainly hadn't done the hardest phase of the course. Okay. But yeah, I mean, it was a pretty rigorous course, I suppose. But yeah, it's yeah, you know, it's still embarrassing to talk about now. Like I, I feel like I shouldn't have. Like I certainly sold myself short on that and got caught in a moment of weakness. Such is life. But that certainly <clears throat> played into my motivation later on for, for going for uh, selection for two commando. And I, I remember when I trained for two commando, I, a lot of my training I used to not just do the physical training, which I was probably very adept at from all the all the kickboxing and wrestling and and then and and just being an infantry soldier. But I remember I used to think to myself constantly, why am I doing this? Mm. And I had sort of had this stack of reasons in my head why I was doing selection because I knew there would come a point when I didn't want to be there or every, all of my reasons were getting stripped away of why I was there. So I sort of gave myself this sort of mental, you know, armour layering of, of all, why I was going to be there. And um, certainly on uh, on CTC, it came to the point where I was like down to my last reason being there and it, it kept me on at one point on selection and that was that feeling of failure. Yeah. I never wanted to feel that way again, ever. Yeah, right. Um, and so, and that sort of got me through that that crux of that, of that particular course. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah, right. So then you get on your reinforcement <clears throat> cycle and, um, yeah, yeah how, you know, how'd you find, yep. how'd you find that? Because there's a lot to learn in that. How, how long is the reinforcement cycle? About a year. Yeah. And that's, um, a, that's a lot. That's parachuting, that's water ops, that's, that's CQB, that's everything. Yeah, that's it. So to go completely from being a non-qual to being a qualified uh, a qualified commando. I mean, one of the differences between commandos and SASR, of course, uh, I think it's just changed recently. Is you need to be a qualified infantry soldier before you can do commando selection. Yep. Where SASR will, will take you as from anywhere. Yeah, right. Um, so you sort of you've got to have that base level uh, infantry infantry skill set there. Just stop you there, Clancy. Did they they once had a direct entry for commandos, correct? So you yep. could be a civilian and you could go straight into the scheme or train into like the training. But yeah. now, is it so? It has changed now. No, you still still have that. And the way the way the direct recruiting scheme would work is that a guy would would join as a as a special forces recruit or whatever you call them. Yep. Um, they'll do kapuka, so boot camp, then they'd go through and do their infantry training. And they do what's called AITs and accelerated infantry training. It is the in the army, oh, gotcha. uh, the Australian Army. They'll then go on selection and then do Rio. And I mean, for those guys, that's it. It's still that scheme is still running. Right. Maybe the progress map has changed slightly. Man, it is a bloody hard way to get into commandos. Um, in yeah, my so. opinion, it's a long path. It's you could be in the army for two and a half, three years before you're qualified and it doesn't stop. So what I mean by that is for most soldiers, right, you go and do Kapuka and then Singleton yep. and then you go to a unit and the pressure's off for a while. And then you do some specialist courses or promotional courses and so you're under pressure while the courses are on, <clears throat> but you're sort of, you're a qualified soldier. And then if you do selection, then you're doing a selection course and then <clears throat> you have all your qualification courses for um, your, your reinforcement cycle to get qualified as a special forces operator, so that pressure's on for that year. Mm. You, you kind of get a you know high pressure of going through regular army training, low pressure period of being in a unit, 
high pressure of, you know, where for a DRS guy, it never stops. For two and a half or three years, you're in a training institution. Yeah, gotcha. Um, and and just it, it's just a hard road. Yeah. It really is. And I mean, I, I have, I think the stigma, you know, I, th- I believe the, um, I think the stigma's gone off it, but there used to be a bit of a thing that oh, DRS soldiers are, man, some of the finest operators I know are DRS soldiers. Yeah. Um, if they get through that, that cycle, they've really done the hard work and earned their place um, in two commando, in my opinion. Yeah, gotcha. So you finished your reinforcement <clears throat> cycle, completed it, uh, you passed everything, obviously, and then you uh, then you're a fully fledged uh, two commando operator. Well, yeah, well, my path wasn't quite that simple. <laughs> um, I actually got, <laughs> of I actually got injured uh, right at the end of my Rio. Yeah, right. Um, so, and I had one course to complete, a two week course, and I actually uh, ripped my pec out of, out of off my off my arm bone uh, wrestling. Um, and it's quite a it's pretty took a long time to rehab. Mm. Uh, it was it was almost a year until I could do that two week course again. So I got an RTU and returned to unit. So yeah. I came back to three RAR for a little while while I was rehabbing, and then prior to being upgraded again, I actually got uh, got a position at Two Commando working in their their integrated combat center uh, with Paul Kale. It just because of my martial arts background, so I'd, um, I think I, I did very well in the close quarter fighting and the hand-to-hand combat course. So I sort of became a little bit known to some of the instructors there because I had that mixed martial arts and wrestling background. Um, and so I wound up working at Two Commandos uh, as a non-qualified soldier uh, for six months instructing commandos in, in close quarter fighting. Yeah, right. And it, yeah, it, was, pretty, it was a pretty cool experience. Um, it was certainly an awesome grounding for me getting to the unit in some regards because I actually met a lot of the senior senior soldiers there, um, but in a capacity where I wasn't a junior commander. I was, I yeah. was just a, a you know an SME brought in from the outside to, to assist their training. <clears throat> so it, not that it, not that it was something I'd, I'd leverage later or anything like that, but just, I just met a lot of people throughout the unit that otherwise I wouldn't mm. have yeah, known. So that, that was pretty cool. Yeah, so I finally um, got upgraded, um, got my shoulder back together, and yeah, finished that. Uh, finished that. Did that two week course. Yep. And got qualified and got posted to AF Company. Yeah, right. To Commando. So you get to AF Company, and, and then uh, obviously Afghanistan at that stage is still still firing, and you yeah get a couple of rotations in. Yes, yeah, so I only I only did one SOTG rotation. Oh yeah, right. Um, I did. I went to Afghan three times with yep. Two Commando, um, but only one of them was a was was with the SOTG. So it was in 2012, and that was the second half of 2012, and that was, um, yeah, that was definitely my best trip yeah, in the military. Um, of course. So, you know, I always put that 06 trip with Timor as being the second best trip of – Not 07? Awesome was. <laughs> not 07? And not 07. <laughs> yeah, not so much, eh? And, and, and 08, which we didn't really touch on, that was pretty, yeah. pretty boring trip as well. Yeah, riding um, push bikes. Pretty around. ordinary trip. Say again? Were you patrolling around in push bikes? No, no, it wasn't. <laughs> I, have, I remember um, seeing we were in Afghanistan. We saw a picture of uh, people riding push bikes in Timor. We're like, fuck, thank fuck we're not in Timor right now. I know it's, it's crazy because I mean, you know, I went there in 06 and it was pretty, um, it was like, you know, like Southeast Asia would have yeah. been 40 years ago. It was pretty backwards and um, undeveloped. And then the next year, I went there in 07 when you were there and yeah, we sort of starting to pull back together a bit, I suppose. And then went there in 08 and they had like, they almost had like a bustling city centre. Yeah, and, um, crazy. It was just every year, just seeing get better the country get get on its feet. Yeah, um, 
from the intervention that Australia put in, basically, yeah. or Australia and New Zealand. Uh, and, you know, on that trip, I went over as a sniper, and most of the time we were, we're actually housed in the in the central fog in Dilly um, and just hit the gym heaps. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then, and when we weren't doing, and the jobs we had were all recon jobs, so yeah, just right. out in the hills looking at stuff. So it was, yeah, it's a pretty boring trip, really, to be honest. Yeah. Those good recon tasks, but yeah. they were, we might go a month sometimes where all we did was smashed ourselves in the gym. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, so, so fast-forwarding, yeah. Yeah, let's let's touch on the SOTG trip. How you, would you find it? This is obviously your first, you know, kicking doors down and uh, shooting guns, getting into th- Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. That's the thing. I, I've been deployed three times. I've never fired, yeah. never fired a rifle in anger, you know. Um, it was pretty awesome. Um Pretty awesome experience. Yeah. It really was. I mean, by that stage, I think two commandos probably, in my mind, had really just come to maturity as being considered by people who accepted that it was a special forces unit in the way I sort of saw it. I might may, may be wrong, but, you know, like in the wider army, suddenly within that year or two, mm. they went, yep, two commando is a thing, right? It wasn't this four RAR commando. What are they? Are they RAR? Are they commando? Yeah. You know, and... I don't say that disparagingly. The guys who I know who were there longer than me, before our commando was was the real deal. Yeah. It's not sure if the wider army really realised it. Yeah. Yet. Um, well, the role changed yeah, as quite, well, obviously, with Afghanistan. It did. Yeah. You know, and, and I mean, most people in the army didn't get to see what, what SOTG did mm. for a year, so it didn't really come out. And, um, you know, so, yeah, I guess I felt like, Command have sort of just come of age within the past year or two when I got there. Yep. And the ops we were doing, I mean, we had, we had a lot of them were the old vehicle ops have been a month out in SRVs was done. Um, we were doing helo, so rotary wing operations, um, <clears throat> targeted, you know, targeted hits. Sometimes, sometimes we'd do things where you'd, you know, you'd head out, head out the door at one, one or two in the morning and be back for lunch. Mm. Right? A lot. <laughs> How good you is know? that? <laughs> oh, mate, fantastic. You know? I mean, yeah. it, it, it was amazing. I mean, it was definitely, definitely high speed. Yeah. Um, we'd like, you know, we had, we, you know, we had amazing training, we had a mature, mature special forces unit. So all of our, all of our team leaders and above had combat, recent combat experience. Um, all of the, all of the operators were, if they didn't have, they hadn't been rotated before and didn't have that that combat experience, and just come off a like myself off a, a Rio cycle, and were as well trained as you know any soldier in the world, you know. And we had the the resources to to go with it, but because of you know the, you know being part of that coalition in that theatre, yeah. So it was the real deal, you know. I mean, suddenly we were, you know I'd come out of playing peacekeeper in, in Timor, and suddenly this was the, this was the big leagues. Yeah, that's it. Know? Yeah, um, yeah, and. I mean, it was, you know, interesting. Like I said before, I'm probably not the kind of guy who thinks that I'm killing it most of the time. Mm. And, you know, so I remember like that, you know, that, and I think most people go through it, but like the self-doubt. Yeah. When you're going into that thing, like, fuck, am I going to be up to it? Yeah. If this, if this is the day, how am I going to perform, you know? Um, and that's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a thing. Um, but, yeah, no, that was, it was awesome. It really was. It, I guess it's. I don't really know yeah. the best way to the easiest way to put it. I suppose. I mean, I sometimes think of it like you're living the way, and maybe it's a bit of a soldierly or a warrior mentality. But you're living the way the way men are meant to live, right? Well, that's it. You're, that's, you're in your. It's back to the analogy that you put through earlier. You know, that's that's yeah. that's what you 
joined the military for. Yep. To yeah, it's what job. you joined the military for. You know, we're out there to do a job. You were really relying on your mate yeah. to keep you alive and, you know, you're, you're, you're relying on your skill and wits and your mates to keep you alive in, and, and vice versa, they're relying on you for the same thing. Yeah. Did you, you know, um, real con- did you guys have uh, many wounded in action or any killed in actions? Um, we guys who've been around a while, so it was actually a, it was actually quite a quiet trip, so mm. not as kinetic yeah. as other trips. I mean, we did have, you know, we had a few shootouts and stuff like that. Um, we only had the three guys in our company die on that rotation. So the, the two were, um, two of my platoon were uh, Merv McDonald's and yeah. Nathaniel Gallagher. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I, I took that and still take that pretty hard. I was, mm. um, like, Merv was, Merv was a guy I really looked up to. He's a real good, good friend. Yeah, he's a really good friend of mine. Of mine, really good friend. And yeah, I ended up. I went to his funeral in uh, Western Australia. But uh, yep. yeah, he was uh, he was a good dude. Yeah, I was, mate, he was an amazing soldier. I mm. when I, I looked up to him so much. He um, he was there the first week of up to three hour. He ran the BFA with us. Um, that was when I first met him, and um, and then when I went across the road to two commando, you know, he'd been there a couple of years, and he he's just such a such a humble guy. He is, yeah. He, he like he was such a he was a really good operator. Yeah. You know, when we were doing our lead up training, he was always killing it. Yeah. Such a good shot. Such so skilled as an operator and what he did. But at the same time, you know, you could have a bad day or make a mistake or whatever. He never, never looked down at you. Mm. He never ever like he was never arrogant about how good he was. Um and then yeah, in in, in action like it was, was the epitome of a, of a yeah, special forces operator. Yeah, that's it. And then, you know, obviously the helicopter and, yeah. And, you know, one of the, f- the weird stories out of this, I heard um, with Gallagher as well, he told Gallagher's parents that, you know, I think his parents spoke to Merv and said, you know, make sure you bring Gallagher home. And he did, you know, just not the way we wanted it. Not the way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I can imagine, you know, um, he <laughs> did – Couple of days before he before he went, um, we hit this target, and um, <clears throat> same same thing. It was it was a we we're doing we we're hitting narc labs, um, working with with the DA. So mm. we basically run security for the DA and, and go and hit an opium or a, a narcotics lab and, and destroy it. So we you know we we hit this hit this target, worked all night, and then um, and we were, you know clearing clearing the village. Then then during the day, I remember we came under like my team, we came under sniper fire. Or accurate fire, hmm. and it was I was I was up I was up front with the uh, with the other guys. I was one of the scouts, and we were sort of crouched down behind this this stone wall, and a few rounds were sort of coming in. They were pretty good accurate fire right from from long distance, and I, <laughs> I heard it sort of leaning up against this wall. And we'd been going, you know, you sort of you might get up at midnight and get on the birds at one in the morning, and and sitting there in the warm sun. I remember sort of getting the nods, <laughs> like, oh, struggling to stay away, even though like, there's a few rounds coming in, but and then. Been there for about twenty minutes, and then thirty meters out in the field, off to one side, our gunner crawling. What are you doing? He goes, "I'm being shot at." <laughs> yeah, what are you doing out there in the field? <laughs> Get over here and cover. Yeah. Anyway, um, so he, he he crawled over to us in cover, and yeah, so we weren't the only ones who were sort of receiving a bit of fire, and there had been some intelligence. There was a, an Iranian marksman in in that uh, in yeah, that right. valley. So assumedly, it was this this guy. I don't know. So we uh, we then started to get ready to be extracted. Our um, the 
the birds coming in to, to bring it to get us. And the uh, Lee 22, so those, those ospreys, the yeah. ones that, yeah, yeah, yep. I think, yeah so yeah, the road just mm. rotates Turn, forward yeah. and they fly like a plane once they're up and running. Man, I, like, I hate those things. They're terrible. Um, and yeah. the reason I hate, like, they just suck. People, they, they seem cool. The reason I hate them is apparently it's, there's too many things going on for a human pilot to sort of do the vertical takeoff and then rotate the rotors and get them running forward. Um, so they've got an automated landing and takeoff, takeoff sequence, mm. which is fine until you're being shot at because the computer's got control and you can't take control back off the computer until it gets to a certain hob height. So you've got a bit of uh, room for the pilot to react or something like that. So we, we board this, uh, board this bird and we're in there and, um, it's gone into its takeoff sequence and it's just started to take off. And this round came in and hit the lady and uh, hit him through the arm. And so this 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 lady, the, the guy working on the on the door of the, the helicopter, part of the helicopter crew, he falls over screaming. And what we couldn't see, and, and when you look at helmet helmet uh, camera of the lady, you can see it quite clearly. His sort of arm flops. Mm. And his arm as he falls, his arm goes down underneath him. So we thought he'd been shot in the guts, like under the body armor. And so the couple of boys have sort of jumped on him and started trying to do first aid. And I remember watching it, you know, because I was a little bit back. It's quite cramped, so I couldn't really, I couldn't do anything. All I could do was watch. And I like to throw him around and rolling him around and reaching under his body armor to try and find that, the source of that wound. And he's screaming, this guy, and, he, and his arms flopping around like a dead fish. Yeah. Right? And it's just like, oh. And when, you, when we realize later, like, oh, brutal. But, you know, we're just always just doing what they're trying, like looking for a, yeah. a wound. Under the armor. At the same time, one of the other guys jumps over and he gets onto the tail gun, and he goes to goes to cycle it up to get it going. And click, nothing happens. It was it was part of their their SOP, so they were they were running this gun. I think they were running it at load, and we were expecting them to have the guns at action, ready to go. Right, so he's flipped the safety switch yeah, off. It goes because like we're on target. So he's like, nothing happens. So he's there. He's you know, right, raise the feed tray. Running the action, trying to get some, trying to get some rounds on it, and and you know at the same time we've got the lady right next to him screaming, and the, couple, the two of the guys working on him trying to find his wounds. Mm. The lady up at the cabin, I remember him yelling out, "Is that one of ours?" You know, going, "Is that is that one of our cabin crew who's been shot?" And we're like, "Yep, it's one of yours." And you know, and we must have got to the hover height, and they flipped over to flipped over to the pilot, and he's gunned it. And so the guy who's on the gun. He suddenly got swung off the ramp, hanging hanging onto the gun. Oh fuck! As the, as the thing's taken off, and Merv was there, and Merv reached over and grabbed him, pulled him back in off the ramp, and pumps the gold top out out the aperture, out the back. And um, anyway, so that that guy, he went, and, you know, later on after that job, he went and spoke to Merv, and he just, you know, thanks, so I could probably save my life. Otherwise, I would have peeled peeled at the back into the poppy field. Yeah. And um, Merv said to him, he goes, mate, if you were going, I was going. Yeah, and that was sort of just you know that was Merv to a T, really. That yeah, that, that's him. Yeah, and then I think about three days later, yeah, he was uh, in that chopper crash. Yeah, so yeah, rest in peace, Merv. Rest in peace. Yeah, rest in peace. You know, I mean, <clears throat> what a legend, what a hero. Yeah, um, fucking lost for words now, um, yeah. mate. Um, yeah, so you do your uh, SOTG deployment, you get back to Holsworthy, then you start doing a bit of, uh, you know, we've been talking for a good hour and 20 minutes, so we'll start uh, speeding up a little bit. Um, yeah, for sure, mate. So you do, you do a bit of CP work uh, in Baggers, or Iraq, I should say. Just, what was that for the next three or four years, five years? Uh, no, only a couple of years. So 
think 2013. Yep. Sorry, um, Clancy, mate. I have to, I have to go to work. Hmm. We, did, we, didn't, we didn't plan on going this far. I've got to work working about an hour and a half, so I've got to go home and get ready to have something to eat. And That's right. I'll, I'll still go. Sorry, we, we can, we can Sorry Clancy, mate. It's It's been fucking – it's awesome. Just sitting here listening to these stories, and it's, I, I fucking love it. But just we're out of time is, well, for, for me anyway. Well, but, for him. We, we can carry on. Yeah. We can keep going. Yeah. No, nah, awesome, mate, bro. Sorry that I, like nah, said, mate. I, I, talk, I talk years off. That's <laughs> nah, good. I fucking love it. Cheers, Clancy. Have fun. Cheers, bro. Yeah. Typical Navy, mate, just – I've got to go to work. Just getting out of here, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, you spent a bit of time uh, doing CP. Yeah, so I did a, a long-term CPP um, deployment uh, for in 20, 2014, 2015. Yep. Um, for for Tukman, that was in Afghanistan, and then then did a few short terms and, uh, yeah, did a couple of trips in and out of Baghdad, Fat, or in and out of Iraq for that. Yeah. Um, really didn't spend much time on the ground. In Iraq, so even though I went in there twice, yep. um, like not only like a few days each, yeah, right, um, yeah, and right. Just flying around the country, so did the advance for, or did the recon as we call it for one of the jobs, um, and so I was in there for a, a couple of days doing that, and then for the other one was just just CPP. It's been most of my CPP time in in Afghanistan, so did a few CPPs in there. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. <clears throat> um, Fuck! I'm surprised I didn't uh, didn't see it all. I, I saw a few of the boys in baggers and uh, Kabul. Saw them a few times when they come over with um, Peter Cosgrove and some other weird people. All the weird government people that come over and yeah, it's funny that I didn't run into. You. I mean, I saw everyone everyone in the world. Yeah, particularly in Kabul, especially the embassies. Um, yeah, the embassy. I mean, you know, I mean, I spent spent a good um, I spent a winter. Yeah, in Kabul. Oh, did you? Um, what year was that? That was fourteen, fifteen. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, in- that, that winter. So we when we changed over from yeah when the operation changed over, but just living in in um, in ISAF there or, or yeah, RS. Yeah, yeah, RS. Um, yeah, good place. And that was, I mean, that was an interesting, <laughs> it was an interesting trip. That one. I mean, certainly another like all, all trips are learnt, learnt a lot. Yeah, certainly learnt learn a lot about executive protection, which then sort of it's boring. Good stead later on in civilian world. Yeah, <laughs> it is quite boring. <laughs> Sitting around, standing around, yep. doing nothing, doing yeah. nothing. Yeah. But but you know, but I guess uh, what, all the etiquette shit too. Yeah, exactly. Not you know, and that's that's really what it's about. I mean, you do all that training to be a bodyguard. Yeah, and spend all your time making sure that you just have the right door open at the right time. And yeah, that whoever is the most important principal doesn't have to wait for their coffee. Yeah, it's you know, it's it's sort of it's yeah, executive protection is a. Like bodyguard is just a is a very fancy term for a very boring job, realistically, yeah. isn't it? Oh, oh, there's a lot of standing around and leaving your door cracked <clears> and wait for the client to walk past. I can tell you that much. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I mean, if, you, if you're doing if you're doing the job correctly, yeah, it's very boring. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, when did you? You know, what was the the motivation to discharge? So, what, what year did you d- discharge? Mate, I got out in 2016. Um, the motivation to discharge. I got I kind of got poached by the Sydney Opera House a bit. Um, I was, you know, I was introduced to the head of security at the Sydney Opera House, and he sort of said, "Oh, look, I might be looking for someone in a few months' time." Um, and he obviously, I think he he liked me. And then he sort of rang me up one day and goes, "Hey, look, this position's come up. Would you be interested in applying?" And I think you know, at the time I was ready to get out of the military. And I think the reason I was ready to get out of the military is it had started to affect me which it's kind of um, 
it's it's kind of funny. I don't. I'm not sure what it was. Like I mean, I, I haven't seen half the shit. Yeah, half the guys have seen. Yeah. Um, but like I'd come back from a deployment, and it might only be a couple of months, and it would take me months to adjust to being back in Australia. Mm. It was like the longer the more deployments I did, the longer it kept taking me to adjust to being in Australia, even though those deployments weren't active shooting deployments. Yeah. Um, or anything like that. Yes, yeah, so I, I don't. I don't know what it was. Um, just the. Yeah, for whatever it was, I think, you know, as much as I miss the boys and I miss the work every single day, I think it was time for me to get out, basically. Yeah. And it's 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 so individual. Like some guys can do it their whole life and be fine, but I just know for some reason it was starting to, starting to mess with me a bit somehow. Yeah. So, yeah, right. Yeah. And obviously um, um, yeah, so- obviously, over your whole career too, the, your maturity level went from, you know, early day 3RR to, you know, a a seasoned soldier, you know, like mature maturity to the to the max level. Oh, massively! You know, I mean, I, yeah, I was very lucky. I was in at a good time. I mean, I did, you know, in that twelve years, I sort of deployed eight eight times, I think. Um, and 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 my my personal life changed a lot too. I mean, I sort of I got hitched, got married, um, mm. and that that put a lot of pressure on my military career because of all of a sudden, every everything I was doing was affecting somebody else. Yeah. Um. And then, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, when I, when I got out too, we were trying to have children. Mm. Um, that sort of wasn't happening. I was away from home a lot. You kind of need to be home to have children. Yeah, unless you're home. <laughs> that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I sort of, a job, job opportunity came up and I took it. It wasn't the exit strategy I had. I'd actually planned to stay in another couple of years. I was studying um, at the time. I was studying sports science while I was in. Whilst I was in. Yep. But at, at the time, it was like a fantastic opportunity sort of to get out, see what the civilian world was like after the, after all the time in with a good, secure job to go to. So, yeah, I, I took it, um, got out in 2016 and started working as a security manager at the Sydney Opera House. Yeah, so obviously, you know, n- not mm-hmm. a it, – it's an easy transition, I suppose. You, you've got the security background. You move into the, the, the private side of things, the security side of things, and uh, you spend a couple of years as the – you know, essentially the boss at uh, – of running security at the Opera House, which is, you know, a, a significant place. It's not just any building. It's the <laughs> Opera House. It's a, you know, especially yeah. f- for Terry Wrist and Mr. Al-Qaeda, you know, it's one of those venues that's, a, I'm sure, on their list, you know, on a bit of paper and a Sam's, de- you know, desk drawer type thing, so. Yeah, de- definitely. I mean, I think we even got called out at one point, didn't we? Like, uh yeah. Yeah, uh, definitely. There was, oh, that was ISIS, I think, said, yeah. you know, shoot them in Brunswick Street, kill them at the MCG, you know, yeah. pack them at their uh, – um, yeah. yeah, look, and that was definitely, I think, part of why I was hired. There was my experience coming from specifically from the military, dealing with terrorism, dealing with the way the terrorists of that theatre and that were operating. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, so I was, I was attractive to the Opera House for that, um, and it, it put me in good stead. I had a lot to – um, I just had a lot of practical experience of that sort of thing, which which was sort of imparted into the security team there. Yeah, yeah, right. And, I mean, it was a great. It, yeah, it was a great. Such a, I learned so much there. Unbelievable, you know. Um, a lot of it was about translating a language or a vernacular from military terminology to mm-hmm. civilian terminology. Yeah, to be honest, and that probably took me close to a year to do six months or so, um, because everything I'd learned in the military was. Like I had the skills, I just didn't know I had the skills. Yeah, you know, exactly. Regards. 
Exactly. So then from there, you uh, get into this uh, kinetic fighting with Paul Kale. So essentially traveling yes, around, uh, teaching people, or teaching the defense force and police as well, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Just uh, yes, some that, defense. I mean, that, that started pretty much as soon as I got out, um, basically because Paul Kale was, he needed instructors and we were mates from when I worked with him in the ICC. And so I would take leave without pay from the Opera House and, and go and do um, delivering, yeah, delivering training back to the Defence Force, ready soldiers for operations in, in Afghanistan yeah. primarily and also particularly later on in, in Iraq as well a bit. And that was a pretty good, that was a very good job. I really enjoyed that, giving that experience and skill set back to regular soldiers. Um, you're not, you know, you're not giving away black SF secrets or you're doing is sort of just adding in a, you know, just I, I guess just deepening yeah. the skill their skill set. And to be honest, one thing that, that I found really interesting doing that was particularly not at first, but when the army combat shooting um, skill sort of got more more uh, well well formalized throughout the regular army. Yep. Man, regular infantry soldiers now in Australia are insanely skilled. How different how different is the army compared to, you know, the webbing that we were wearing or land one two five to the the equipment they've got, just the, you know, the, you know, method of entry, just, you know, the CQB that they're doing now, like just as a standard soldier, it's just essentially it's like four hour back in the day, you know, like now that's the Minus that's, crazy, that's the standard of infantry battalions now. It's like, and the kit lock is just out of control. Like everyone's got a pistol. Everyone's got a good yeah. play carry, you know, like it's just, you don't have to go out and buy your own shit. Man, they, yeah, exactly. Like these boys are, they're the real deal. Yeah, it's really you know, cool. Like really cool. It's insane. Like this, they are so good. Yeah, the regular infantry guys now. It's um, it's scary how good they are. You know, probably what's scary about it is we ride out the door, <laughs> thinking we're all that. Yeah, I know. shooting off the hip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just crazy how you know. Obviously, the army has um evolved, and it, you know that's that's just the the way the world goes. It's evolution, and um, so just. Touching on, you know, you've uh, you're still working. You're still working with uh, kinetic uh, fighting. Yeah, so I still deliver training for um, for kinetic uh, kinetic fighting. Uh, currently, sort of deliver one of their instructors delivering their their civilian combatives courses. Yep. Um, and then they do get some interim contracts with the military, and I'll still instruct on those. And that's pretty good to keep my hand in there. Um, yeah, so that's. Definitely enjoy that whenever I can. It's it's very nice. To, you know, it's good to touch base back with the military with that. Yeah, of course. Just brush up those old skill sets. Yeah, dust them off to sort of have to try and impart them on other people. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm still doing that. And now you're um, now you're the founder of uh, Wayfinder Field Skills, which is uh, I'll let you touch on it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I mean, I I left the Opera House and it was just very bad timing. I had contracting and solding work lined up for security. And that was at the start of 2020, and then COVID kicked off, and so I was basically left without a job. And so I had this idea in the back of my head to teach navigation courses. Um, so I just basically started a Facebook page and started advertising these courses, this Wayfinder Field Skills thing, and it grew organically from there. And I guess I've learned a fair bit over the past 18 months, two years, about running a business. Yeah. And stuff that I didn't uh, know, but, yeah, I really enjoy it. Um, I certainly – I guess I'd like to think that I produce a good product. Um, pretty boutique in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, there's not, you know, unless you're really into the outdoors or you're looking to get in the military or something like that, 
a lot of people aren't that interested in learning map and compass navigation. Um, just recently, I've just started running by putting together these events, which I call a Navathon, which is basically like a, a 24-hour navigation marathon, probably similar to Roganing or something like that. Um, and that's actually kind of my next my next venture, I suppose, at the moment. Yep. You should do that. And that's that's really awesome. Um, really enjoy sort of putting them together. And I guess I can probably thank the Opera House for all the events that I had to run there. Yeah, right. To learning how to actually yeah. put together yeah, an course. event. Yeah. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, so Wayfinder Field Skills, it's certainly something I enjoy doing. Yeah, awesome, man. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, so we've been talking for a good hour and a half and it's been it's been insightful, man. Like you've given us a really good in-depth, uh, you know, timeline of not just your life but transitioning from normal infantry through to special forces and then, you know, your time overseas. Um, generally for our guests, mate, we have two questions. Um, you know, the first question is, you know, what advice can you give to people uh, to complete their goals or to take their training to the next level or, you know, to succeed in the role that they're doing? What You know, what advice can you give? Do you mean in, in life in general for something? Life, something mate, life, in, life in general. Life in general <laughs> or it could be something specific like getting into two commando, you know what I mean? Like what motivation can you, you know, what, what, what did you use to get to where you are today? Yeah, for sure. Um, I suppose I probably – I used to do it when I was when I was fighting as uh, visualization a lot, um, but not just simply visualizing winning or visualizing coming facing adversity. And so, if you think about it in terms of a you know wrestling or kickboxing or MMA, it's like being in a bad position and fighting your way out of it, right? And visualizing that coming from behind to win, and that that was you know, and to, to extend that analogy into something else, it's like so you know have a vision, have a vision for something. Think your way, you know, don't just think, oh, I want to be the CEO of a of a billion dollar company. Go, you know, yeah, okay, so that's that's great. That's the end point. Visualize the path getting there, actually put together a visualization or you know, and which you could say it's have a set of goals, have a but actually give yourself a plan for doing something. And then the next thing is take action on that plan. Yeah. I suppose if I was going to sort of say it simply is you want to do something, make a plan of how you're going to get there. And do it. Like it's, it's all good. Yeah, you want to be a car racer. Well, the first thing you need to do is learn how to drive a car, right? <laughs> yeah. So make, make a plan for learning to drive a car and then make a plan for how you're going to get better to increase your skills at driving a car. Yeah, gotcha. Always driving towards that. But but take action on that plan. Don't just dream about it. Yeah. Actually put yourself out there and do it. And that's yeah. probably – and that that's something – I mean, I saw that in the battalions all the time. You know, you always have those guys, oh, next year I'm going to try selection for special forces. Yeah, yeah. Just, just do it, mate. Just do it. You know, just, just have a go. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, that was, uh, that was good. Uh, and the second question, mate, what's the plans for the future? Wayfinder, connect fighting, uh, astronaut? So, uh, so, yeah, so coming straight off the back of having, you know, make a plan and take action. Yeah. My plans are a little, little nebulous at the moment. Um, I'm currently kind of stuck in a bit of a daddy daycare loop. Yeah, of course. Study. Yep. And, I, I, you know, the Wayfinder field skills allows me to, do work, but yeah, as I can, um, particularly with COVID lockdowns, I, my, my wife works, so I find a lot of my time gets taken up with our, with our young son. Um, studying sports science, hopefully what I'd like to do with that is do a Master's of Exercise Physiology and um, get qualified as an exercise physiologist, work, yeah, right. with, work with probably outpatients from hospitals, helping them rehabilitate from, from injuries. Um, that would be the the end goal. I mean, there's mm. some sexy dreams in there of working with high-performing athletes and yeah. things like that. Uh, whether that comes to fruition or not, 
TBC, but yeah, my, so my current thing is just trying to be a good father and finish my study. Yeah, nice, you know, mate. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome, man. Well, um, well, if people want to get in contact with you, uh, where, where can they find you? Yeah, so I have a Facebook page, uh, Wayfinder Field Skills, <clears throat> or I also have a website, so uh, wayfinder.com.au. It's uh, Wayfinder is uh, W-A-Y-Finder, F-I-N-D-E-R.com.au. Um, so they're the two places to be easy, easy to find me. Yeah, perfect. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So if anyone, you know, wants to get in contact with Clancy and uh, maybe even get out and learn some navigation, I could tell you what, I could use it. I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, I've got no idea. Mate, I use a TomTom now. That's about it. And an iPhone. <laughs> if I was to use map to, yeah, map and uh, a silver compass, mate, I'd be lost for sure. I might have to come on a course. Mate, yeah. Look, you know, and the only reason, I guess, when I did three sniper courses yeah. while I was in the, in the army, so I did the, the basic one in the battalion and team leaders in the battalion and then the special forces sniper course and all of that involves navigation. So yeah, it's ingrained. I, yeah. And, but to be honest, when I first put together my first navigation course, I went out in the bush. I was like, Oh shit, <laughs> I'm deep water now. But it, it, it sort of came back to me, you know? So it's, yeah. it's something like, mate, honestly, if you got out there with map and compass, first couple of legs, oh, you'd, yeah, you'd, yeah. you'd be worried. <laughs> it'll, yeah, it'll come back right. eventually, mm-hmm. especially from mortars, mate. mate. Exactly. Yeah. Mortarman. You, there's, there's plenty of it. But, uh, mate, again, I uh, appreciate you coming on, man, and giving me your time. And, you know, as I said, you're our first Tukumato guy. And, um, yeah, it's been insightful just to, again, hear the stories of, you know, st- you're you know, a little rat bag in Tasmania to being, you know, a, a pinnacle soldier of the Australian Army, you know, uh, serving, in, at, serving in Afghanistan as well and obviously excelling in the private security industry outside and, you know, the stuff that you're doing is it's pretty cool. It's good to, it's good to see, uh, you know, guys I've served with and, you know, do really well, you know, and be humble about it as well. So you've never been one of those guys that comes out with the ego and so it's been, it's been real good. Yeah, cheers, mate. Appreciate that. I mean, I think, you know, once again, it's, Certainly one of those things where I couldn't, you know, I think the military really can make make you into something. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like there's nothing, definitely nothing special about me or where I came from or anything. Yeah. I just kept showing up for courses and trying to do my best. Yeah. And, yeah, I sort of did all right in the end, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's, you know, what, what else can you ask of yourself, right? Yeah. But, yeah, no, thanks very much for having me on, on here, man. It's uh, been an interesting experience for me too. I've Never done a podcast before, so yeah, I was pretty, uh, pretty nervous at the start of this. Jerry. No, awesome, no. man. That's it's just just chatting, just chatting. And yeah. it said, mate, like, this podcast was, uh, you know, we started it just to help guys, and it's more for veterans. But there's, you know, civvies out there that might be listening that are listening actually, and uh, you know, hopefully, it gives them the kick to, you know, maybe become a, you know, special forces soldier or, uh, you know, do whatever, do whatever you you, know, you set your mind to, just get it done. Yeah, life's life, life's it, too you know. short. Life is way too short. And as we both know, life is very short. So, Mate, isn't it? You know. All right, brother. Too easy. Mate, it's been awesome chatting. Yeah. I'll, I'll speak to you soon. Cheers, man. Gotcha. Talk to you later. Matt, your mate Clancy. <laughs> how about um, that, mate? He was a criminal. He was a brown up. Yeah. <laughs> I liked how he, he tried for the SAS and he wasn't, didn't make, oh, I got injured. He just says, yeah, I just couldn't be bothered. Yeah. It was just like, and he just, Took it on the chin. He's just like sweet, and then he's got back to his unit. He's like, "Well, fuck," and then he decided to become a commander, which is yeah. Which is cool and then as you well. know, coming up from his upbringing as well, you know, growing up in Tasmania and being a, you know, he was essentially a delinquent, and he told himself, you know, he had a, one of those moments where he's like, "You know what, fuck, 
I better do something with my life, otherwise yeah. I'm going to end up in prison or um, in the Centrelink line. Yeah, exactly. Which is not a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he's had he's had a pretty wild, wild life as well. Yeah, and then we met each other in two thousand early 2000s uh, when we uh, when we were both in uh, the 3rd Battalion in Sydney jumping out of planes together. And then we did team all together in 2007. Yep. Uh, I went to Afghanistan in 2008 and he, I think he did three deployments, he said. Yeah, I think he said, yeah. Three deployments to Timor and then, um, yeah, tried out for uh, two commando, which is, a, again, like back then uh, at Holesworthy, three hours right next to, it was literally like a fence. Yeah, right. And it was like dark and gloomy on three hours side. Like it was always raining because you're always in trouble or we always had to do fucking guard duty. And the commando side. And the commando side was like rainbows, rainbows unicorns and unicorns. It was just, it looked like a happy place. Yeah. It looked like a very happy, they had beards and. <laughs> hey, I went to Holsworthy once, not to the jail, but to drop off like guns and stuff. All those boats in that yard there. Do you know where the big shed is where you take all your guns? Oh, I could. I, oh, there's just like a massive pad out the front, and there's just fucking like all these boats. Yeah, right. Like tinnies and shit. Yeah, be all two commando stuff. Yeah, what do they go fishing, crabbing? Just tinnies. Just taking <laughs> tinnies. Like. Tinnies, <laughs> tinnies for running the harbour. Um, but yeah, Clancy had a, a pretty hectic story, and then he got you know once he, especially Afghanistan, mate. He did Afghanistan a few times uh, with two commando, which again, it's one of those. Um, Hot periods where two commando was directly involved with a lot of direct action missions. Yeah, and, uh, you know we right. we spoke about you know losing one of our mates in a helicopter crash, which is pretty. Um, you that know, pretty story itself is pretty pretty wild. Yeah, it's um, one of those things that I always remember. Yeah, but um, uh, you know it happened. You know the boys, two commando boys, lost a, a few few guys, which is you know pretty sad. And you know especially with the state of what Afghanistan is now, it's a fucking. It's gone back to shit. Essentially a fucking waste of life. Mm. But that's another podcast. Yeah. And um, so now he's a, he said he was a private uh, security and person, yeah. whatever you want to call yeah. it. And he owns his own business in navigation and bush. Yeah, waste, survivability. Uh, wayfinder skills. That's the one. Yep. And works with uh, kinetic fighting as well, which they go around and teach the police and military and anyone that needs to mm. learn kung fu or. So, not kung, not kung fu, jiu-jitsu or what it's, is the other one? What they call it? Self-defense. That's it. Is yeah. it self-defense. Self-defense tactics. I think being a, being a bouncer, you and I have used the uh, in quotes self self-defense before. <laughs> the choker hold, <laughs> the throat chop. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, if you want to get in contact with Clancy, you can uh, head to you can head to uh, wayfinder.com.au. dot um, There is a hyphen in between way and finder. Otherwise, you can head to uh, you can hit him hit him up through us um, if you need to uh, get in contact with him. Especially if you want to get out and do some not orienteering, you want to do some navigation. <laughs> navigation. Yes, correct. <laughs> um, and if if uh, you want to chat about if you are a young lad joining the commandos, um, I'm sure Clancy will be more more than happy to have a chat with you. Um, but yeah, he's he was a nice nice dude, Clancy. He was awesome. Yeah, and if you want to get in contact with us and listen to our podcast, you know, head to our social medias, Facebook and uh, Instagram. Otherwise, head to zerolimitspodcast dot com. Um, if you want to listen to any of these podcasts, head to all those uh, options. Otherwise, uh, find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and. Google Podcasts and Stitcher and all those good ones. All the good ones. Yeah. And if you have uh, any person in mind you want us to chat to, uh, if you serve with them that you know of someone that's had a 
wild, wild time in the ADF or the United States or wherever. Uh, we'll Get love- us up. Yeah. Awesome. Ciao. Wait, wait, wait. Now, quickly, just before you go, I want to tell you about Three Zeros Coffee. Now, as you know, I like my coffee how I like my men, long and black. <laughs> However, lately, I've moved into the cold brews. I'm loving it, obviously, because the weather here in Australia at the moment is quite hot. So what I've been doing is using the seasoned campaigner pour-over filter bags, literally rip open the packet, put the filter bag over my coffee mug, few ice cubes, pour in some hot water, let it cool down, add a sugar or two just to make it sweet, and I fucking love them. Honestly, you get the kick that you need out of the caffeine, and the taste is great. So if you want to get yourself a supply of coffee, head over to 30scoffee.com.au. From there, you can choose whatever you want. You've got the beans, you've got the pour-over filter bags, got some merchandise, and just to let you know that a percentage of their sales is forwarded to organizations that support first responders. So while you're getting your coffee, you're doing a good deed by getting some of this money to the first responders and where it needs to go. While you're there, don't forget to use the discount code 3ZLIMITS. Now look in our bio, you see that discount code, use it, get your discounts. So again, jump onto 30scoffee.com.au and grab yourself a supply.